You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are again, episode nine. We have Nanya pulled our episode output. Boom. It's getting ridiculous now. Nanya pulled, huh? Nanya pulled, Nanya pulled. A Nanya pulled wow. is an order of nine. Amazing. Fascinating. Unbelievable. Tell us what's in this episode. I'd be happy to. So we're going to be talking about a very, very fun topic for photographers, which is kind of the etiquette of photography. You know, I just got back from Grand Teton National Park, the road trip out to Jackson, and had some interesting experiences with photographers, good and bad. And that's going to kind of lead us to this story that both of us saw about a new addition to the, the leave no trace principles, which we'll go over in case you don't know what they are. All right. What else are we going to have? We might, depending on time, we could talk about Yashika with their, was it a Y35, this new kind of, they're going back into the, the toy digital camera space. That is going to be fascinating for everybody, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it will be too. So, so Sharky. Yes. You're more of a photojournalist, right? So when you're photographing, are you typically surrounded by other photographers or are you by yourself? You know, in other words, how often do you deal with other photographers when you're practicing your craft? So I haven't been a photojournalist for a little over four years now, but I still shoot sports when I'm able to get out and shoot. And of course, there's always other photographers on the sidelines. You know, you've got your there's the local media, print media, the newspaper photographers, but you also have the TV guys, too. And that's a whole different thing. The TV guys have a whole different attitude. That's a whole other show to itself. But then, of course, you've got the, let's call them up-and-coming photographers who take it seriously and who want to make a living or try to make a living, which is hard to do, at sports photography. And then you've got the moms and the dads on the sidelines, too. And it's getting crowded. It has gotten crowded on the sidelines. It's gotten to the point where a lot of the schools will limit by number. They'll say, like, we only want five photographers on the sidelines. So if you don't get in early, you're not going to get a pass because there's too many darn people on the sidelines and people are so rude. I've got a great example of something that happened years ago when I was a photojournalist. If you want me to get into that right now. Well, yeah, I mean, what I what the point of it is, I want to talk about, I here, here's my theory and then we'll go into your experience and then I want to share some experiences too. I don't shoot sports. I'm not a photojournalist. I've never really, I've never shot a concert or anything like that. But I am a kind of a landscape travel photographer. That's my that's my thing. And so a little story. Last week, uh, Nicole and I went to Grand Teton National Park and we shot sunrise every morning at different locations around the park. One morning, we decided to go to the, those famous barns on Mormon Row. If you haven't seen it, just do a Google search for barns on Mormon Row. They're, it's very picturesque. It's, it's really pretty. And we were the second people to get to the spot. We, we consistently, every time we would get to a spot an hour before sunrise at this time of year, um, you know, we were two weeks away from all the campgrounds in the park closing. So it wasn't very crowded, especially midweek. So we get there and we see in the, it's still dark. We see in the distance, there's one other photographer. And it's been about three years since both of us had been to these barns. We were there in like 2014 or 15. And from where you park, where there's like a small public parking area uh, to where you really want to be as a photographer with your tripod, there's this channel of muddy water and it's pretty deep. And it's just, if you don't have waders on or something protective, you just, you probably don't want to walk through because it's still really cold. Someone's serving you food out there. You said waders. Oh my God. Sorry. Dad joke. Number one. Go ahead. Dad joke. Number one. Not, uh, not bad. Not bad. I mean, okay. So <laughs> they'll get better. Um, hopefully <laughs> it better. Otherwise we're going to have problems. So I kind of asked the, no, no, it wasn't me. It was Nicole. Nicole 
kind of asks the guy, hey, how can we get over there uh, without walking through the water? And the guy looks at us and he's just like, I don't know. And I was just completely beside myself because clearly that guy got to where we want to go. And it's, you know, after a couple of minutes of just like looking around, we both, kept, if you just, you know, for anyone who wants to visit, just keep walking about a hundred more feet and there'll be an area there where you can easily just walk over. There's like, you know, it's covered. So you could walk over channel of water. And then we walked back to him and just, it was just so awkward at that point because all he had to do, you know, it's not like some secret. I didn't just discover the Holy grail of landscape scenes. It's something that millions of photographers and people and tourists go to every year. He could have just said, hey, yeah, just walk down over there. That little thing is what I'm talking about with like the etiquette of photographers. This was the only other human out there, right? Correct. So there was nobody else to ask. So you asked the only person you could possibly ask, and he was where you wanted to be. Exactly correct. And he had no, I have no idea. He's like, I I have no idea how I got here. I just woke up and uh, I was over here. See, that's so so pointless so first it's awkward because you're eventually going to find your way over there and so that's super awkward and come on did he think he was like holding you back like oh i'm better not if they don't if i don't tell them they're not gonna be able to get over here and take the really good photos they only take like maybe like a nine out of a ten instead of a ten that's exactly like, what, I was what was the point what was the point of him doing that that's just such a just d-bag move it is and i you know i was thinking about it too um when uh, yesterday when you and i were talking about this topic if the roles were reversed, let's just say, and I, I and I pulled the same maneuver, like, I don't know. And then the person walks through the wall, gets there, you know, f- everything wet and muddy or they slip or whatever. You know, what kind of a jerk would I feel like? And I guess I wouldn't feel like much of a jerk if I already didn't think I should help them. But there's this, I, I do believe that, I mean, I think there are plenty of really great photographers out there, but I also think that there is this a sense of propriety or protectiveness if is protectiveness a word um, it is now it's almost like i can't share with you information i want to go into that too but i want to hear your story well before i get to that there's no secrets in photography maybe back in the day it was limited to what your buddy knew or what you could find out in a book but today you could literally hit something called google i don't know if you heard of that before and find out any information you want Here's the thing. When it, here's what it comes down to. If you're confident in your abilities as a photographer, like if somebody was out there who was just amazing at landscape photography, so just throw out any of the great names out there, they will share the info with you because they know, first of all, they know that whatever info they give you, they're still going to get better shots because they've achieved a certain level. So they're confident in their abilities. They know that by giving you the info, you're not going to get a better shot than them. And if you do, hey, that's fine. There's tons of great shots out there. That's not what it's about for them. This isn't like a once in a lifetime event. So this guy that you talked to, I'm guessing was probably not super confident. And so he was really stingy with the info because he was thinking he was going to keep you down because you were going to get a better shot. Like suddenly it was about you versus him when it didn't need to be. Exactly. That's right. I don't know why some photographers feel like it's a competition. Like, here's another story that takes it to a different level. About two or three years ago, you know, Matt Kluskowski, he's a great photographer. Of course I do. Yeah. Great photographer, uh, just been uh, teaching photography, Photoshop and Lightroom for years, used to be at Kelby. Him and I went to Mount Rainier National Park in Washington. Uh, He was, if I remember correctly, scouting for a video tutorial. So it was really, really hot that day. It was like in the afternoon, not even that good light, but it was really hot. And so what we decided to do is we wanted a scout. We decided to leave our gear, most of our gear, like our tripods and all the lenses in the truck. And we were only going to walk handheld, one camera, one lens, just to, again, to scout. 
So we get to this area where there's a nice kind of a creek flowing water and, and the mountain is in the background and there's nice flowers, like wildflowers. Does it look like the one on your on the dial on your camera? <laughs> the, the mode you mostly shoot in. Is it the one? Does it look just like the mode you shoot in or is it? A little bit, but the mo- that's All if right. I convert it to black and white, like really high key black and white. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's just like a, an outline. <laughs> just like that. Go yeah. ahead. So I, was, I got there. I'm like, oh man, I just need a circular polarizer or a three-stop ND filter, just something for my lens because I just wanted a half a second exposure. But even at F22 at the time, it was so bright, I couldn't get it. So I turn around to my left and 20 feet behind me is this photographer. He's older gentleman. He's got the vest, the photo vest. He's got a huge bag. It looked like he was going fishing. Oh yeah. he was. It's like he was going on some sort of a photo safari, you know, like that Nat Geo Nikon vest. I was like, oh, Surely this guy would have a filter. So I wait, walk wait, up. wait, 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 wait. This was a guy named Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. Shirley, this guy. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So thank you, Sharky. So, and you know, you're really helping me with my ADD because I really have to be on point <laughs> for my stories. So <laughs> it's I, fun for the audience. Go ahead. And it's helpful for me. So I go over to the guy and I ask him, excuse me, sir. You know, I was totally polite. I was like, would you happen to have a circular polarizer or a three-stop neutral density filter, 77 millimeters, you know, very common. And he's like, well, are you going to be sharing this on the internet, the photo? I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm taking it. I want to take a nice photo share. He's like, well, then for you, I don't have a filter. I swear to God, that's exactly his words. Well, then for you, I don't have a filter. And I was just, and that was in the background and both just stupefied. Are you kidding me? You're not going to help another person out with, give him a, a piece of hardware to help him get a shot because I will share it. I wish I was joking. I wish I was making this up for the show, but I swear to God, this guy, this is what this guy said. Sharky, what is wrong with people in the world? Help me understand what's wrong with photographers. I have no idea. It's, and it's unique to photography too. I think so. I, I, don't, I don't get where it comes from. But this what was this guy worried about? That somebody was going to somehow find your photo instead of his on the entire internet? Yeah. Like I was the only one at that. And it was like crappy lighting conditions. It wasn't like we had some sort of beautiful aurora over the mountain. It was midday, you know, high noon. I just needed to cut the light just a little bit. And he wouldn't help me. You guys were out there scouting. What was he doing there out in that horrible lighting? He was with his tripod just sitting there taking probably 40 of the same photo. So there you go. That says it right there. So he's not very confident in his abilities. He didn't didn't know what he was doing. He didn't do his research. And he wasn't going to... He probably knew that. He's, I'm not going to give them this circular polarizer because that's going to be the key right there to an amazing photo in this horrible lighting. Yeah. There's all this... You know, you see it all the time. Um, you know, and what I was telling you yesterday, my theory with a photographer is you see their true personality their true soul their self five minutes before sunrise or five minutes before sunset that's when it's most critical and that's when if you were to ask someone if they are genuinely a nice person they will at least acknowledge or try to help but for the most part it goes into this like jackal mode it gets real right about five minutes before sunrise like no leave me alone you're not i'm not helping you 
Exactly. Maybe they're maybe they're just concentrating. I don't know, but you don't. Someone can at least be nice in the brush off. You know, give you the give you the nice brush off. Well, and that's the thing. Of course, it's all. I don't want people in the audience to be like, well, of course, you know, five minutes for sunset, you have to be concentrating, like you said. It just kind of the way you respond. It's not like I would come to someone as a photographer. Let's say Sharky, you're set up there. It's five minutes for sunset, and I'm like, hey man, can I just like position myself right next to you? Like, can you move a few feet? Like, no, I wouldn't. I, I as a photographer, I understand that. But if it's like, hey, how do I get to where you're going or what setting should I use? Like, I don't know what I'm doing and I want to get a, a cool shot. You know, I genuinely believe that's where you start. You separate photographers by personality, especially if you see somebody just standing around. They're not messing with their camera. They've got their shot set up. They're just waiting like you waited for the eclipse and then you kind of got screwed out of it by the cloud. But um, exactly. Come on, G- give somebody a little bit of info, help them out, help a brother or sister out already. You know, my I want to get to my example. Mine's a little bit different. So I was a photojournalist, like I said, shot a ton of games. And I was in this tiny town in eastern Arizona, St. John's, shooting a football game. And people clearly don't know etiquette when shooting games. If you're on the sidelines, let's say you're a mom or dad or whatever, and you're shooting a game and you're on the sidelines, or let's say you're in the end zone, because this is where it happened. And a play happens in the end zone after somebody misses a touchdown. You don't yell at the players from the other team. What do you mean? This person, this gentleman, we'll call him, even though he was not clearly, was taunting the other team. So his son, I guess, was playing on on whatever team. And he was taunting, well, he was taunting the St. John's player and he was from some other Arizona town. And because of him, the refs, they kicked out all the photographers. They, they were like, you're all gone just because this one guy. And I told him, I'm like, listen, I'm with the newspaper. Here's my credentials. You technically can kick me out, but please don't. I need to get these shots. And I'm a professional. I'm not a parent, this particular parent. I'm not condemning all parents, but this particular guy had no business. You know, okay, he had the ability to be on the sidelines. His team allowed him to do that, but you don't taunt other players. So when it comes to etiquette, don't do things that are going to screw things up for other photographers. And we've talked about that generally in the past. Just don't do it. Try, yeah. Don't make it's hard enough as it is as a photographer. You know, there could have been someone on the sidelines there that was shooting, hoping to sell those photos to other parents. And because of your actions, you got them kicked out and now they can't, you know, feed their family or whatever. So that's just one of many examples. But when I was a photojournalist, generally, I didn't have people shooting alongside me. It was mostly football games. You know, you're in a contained space. He almost made it so no photography was being done. Thanks, guy. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole, not necessarily paying it forward, but that's what separates, I would say, a professional. And I'm not talking about professional photographer in the sense of like uh, making your income from photography, but a professional, period. You feel comfortable enough in your skill, like you were saying just earlier, you're not worried about whether the other person has the same access to that particular scene, that particular moment, that particular vantage point. You're not concerned about that kind of competition because you have enough experience You have a depth in uh, relationships that you formed in the industry, that kind of stuff where I would rather make a deposit in my karma bank account by, hey, yeah, like I remember when I was shooting the same thing this trip last week and I was shooting with a soft grad filter and I was putting it in in the filter holder and a woman next to me, she never saw that before. And she was trying to ask, what was it? This was right when the sun was behind us and it had already broken above the horizon. And so it was getting this was prime light and you wanted to kind of darken the sky above. And sure, I could have gotten my shots, but I stopped, kind of understood how much time I had. And I said, hey, come on over. And I showed her on the back of the LCD and I was, you know, lifting the the soft grad up and down, showing her like, this is why you want it. 
this particular filter, why a regular neutral density filter would be great, but this soft grad is even better because it gives you balanced exposure. And she was like, oh, that's fantastic. And I got my shot. You know, I could have just said, hey, let me hold on. You know, let me get my shots. You know, just be nice. And and if I'm going to say anything to photographers, put the emotion in the photo. Leave the emotions away from, you know, treat your fellow people, even if they're just like amateurs with like, and I amateurs in a bad way, but like just clearly inexperienced. God, give them the same respect you would give, you know, your your husband, your wife, your brother, your mother. You could have been like, take a hike, lady. But instead, you're Brian Matias, benevolent photographer. I mean, you're, you're anyone benevolent photographer. If Just pay it forward. Don't be a jerk. That's a good thing to leave on. Just don't be a jerk. Yeah. So, All right. What's our next topic? So th- it's a good segue in terms of, uh, you know, sharing the, the concept of sharing photography uh, recently. So there's a, a, an organization called Leave No Trace, which is, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. It's lnt.org. They've got seven principles. They're the Center for Outdoor Ethics is their tagline. They have seven basic principles, which I think are inalienable, uh, super obvious, self-evident. Things like plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste properly, leave what you find, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife, and be considerate of other visitors. Those are their principles. Recently, though, there was a proposal to add an eighth principle, which is basically, to paraphrase, is... Stop sharing your photos with like the metadata of where they were taken online because all of this sharing of photos on social media is having an impact, giving people the heads up of where to go to get these photos so they can share them on their Instagram or Facebook pages. And so it's uh, <laughs> this is this makes me insane. I know. Let me, so I'll t- here. I'm going to quote from this uh, Gear Junkie article. It proposes the following examples of an eighth principle. One, be mindful when posting on social media and consider the potential impacts that rapidly increased use can have on wild places and use discretion when posting on social media and consider the potential impact of creating a buzz, quotes, around specific destinations. Unbelievable. Listen, everybody has a right to go where you go. You know, just because you appreciate nature more doesn't mean you get to keep everyone else from going there and taking photos or whatever. What happens when they arrive there is up to them. You know, put more signage up, uh, a park ranger, whatever you have to do. You you can't control people. This is very controlling, and I don't like to be controlled. Yeah, this is a really, I think there's a line with the the seven principles that I originally uh, read are, like I said, are self-evident. Things basically like, don't be, again, don't be a jerk. Don't destroy things. Be considerate. Follow the, the signs that are posted. So like you said, post more signs, you know, in different areas. But when it's like, when the principles start kind of telling you what you should do or how you should be able to use the memories that you create to prevent other people, like you said, from being able to get to that location is, I believe, crossing a line. It's also, it's unrealistic to listen. There's, you know, here in America, we've got like, what, 350 million people. The population is not exploding, but it's getting larger and larger, right? So you have more people first off, You have more people now doing photography more than ever. You have social media, which, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's not going away. You can't contain this. You are not the container. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to happen. So what can you do at that point? You just kind of have to mitigate, you know, try to just hope that people aren't going to do stupid things, but they're going to. We talked about the Grand Prismatic Spring and some guy was so close to it, he fell in and was dissolved. You know, so I mean, like right there that you got, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, you could be dissolved. So there's that. 
You know, everywhere else, it's like you might ruin something uh, in nature that can't be fixed again. That's unfortunate. That's criminal, but at least you're not going to die. But just because people enjoy nature to the nth degree doesn't mean that you can't as well. And you get to, when you go there, you get to do what you want so long as you're not causing harm. But you, like I said, you can't control everybody. If you have a thousand people go there, there's always going to be at least one idiot. And all it takes is one idiot. Yeah. And, and like you said earlier, there's also Google. So there's a fork. So the, the common denominator between two types of people is their intent. They want to go see a cool location. Okay. There's the one person who wants to go to see it and they're good, meaning they're going there. They want to, they're going to abide by all these principles. They're going to take their photos. Um, they're going to respect the nature. Then there's the other person who it's not like they just get there and, and some switch in their heads, like I'm going to go, uh, tear down a tree or I'm going to go set this on fire. They are a, a jerk to begin with. It doesn't just like snap, like, Oh my God, I am so awestruck by this beautiful nature. I want to go destroy it. No. Uh, same. This happened with those kids. Uh, we talked about this in a, a few episodes ago in the Columbia River Gorge or along the Columbia River Gorge. They were throwing smoke bombs and now they caused this massive fire throughout the entire region that, that had has had serious permanent uh, and long term impact. It's not like they went there and, you know, saw the nature and then just like, oh, my God, this is such an ideal place to throw smoke bombs. No, they went there to document being idiots and I swear to God, I'm still fuming over this. I hope that their lives are impacted materially. But to kind of put out this blanket statement, I, I am always very hesitant. I'm, it's funny that I'm making a blanket statement about blanket statements, but <laughs> I I always I'm very hesitant whenever anyone makes a blanket statement like this. That is, you know, there are certain things like don't kill. Okay, that's a blanket statement we can all get behind. But putting limitations on what you do with your recreational time where you go is concerning. Absolutely. You know, it's just, it's so frustrating. It really comes down to you can't control people. If someone wasn't raised properly and they don't have at least common decency, you're not going to teach that. You're not going to even teach that right on the spot there. There are signs and they still ignore them. So what can you do at that point? I mean, uh, it's again, it's just one of those things that I'm glad we it's here. I'm glad that it's it's a topic that was brought up because anytime you get to surface this information to the public is a good thing. But we can pivot on this, for example, and this is fusing the, the two topics together, the, the kind of the secrecy with what you should do with information. But I remember this photo that a fellow photographer posted. It was it's simply stunning. It's a beautiful photo. And I had asked him if he would be able to, sh it would, you know, can tell me where it is because there's the metadata was stripped. I wanted to go and I had a general idea, you know, the general vicinity in, in the United States of where it was, but you know, who knows where it could be. And he's like, well, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, was, uh, the person who I went with made me swear not to share this information. And that really, really got to me. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, what am I going to say? You know, break your promise to your friend. I don't know if they were keeping that information because like in the first story where they wanted, you know, they were just being jerks and they wanted to keep it proprietary. They didn't want other people to have access to it. Or the second, which is this, or, you know, the latter story, which is they're trying to be deputies of nature and police it, feel like they should police it because if I go, then I find I take the photo and I could share the location and that could ruin things. Like it's a really weird balancing act, right? You know what? It's, I just don't, I don't get what they're doing. Like the guy that told, that wouldn't tell you where it was. What I would do is then go online and say, here, everyone go check out this photo. Does anyone know where this is? Because he's not telling me. And I respect that he doesn't want, for whatever reason, you know, this made up conversation with a friend of his that didn't go with him and he doesn't want to share the info or whatever. Uh, do you know where this is so I can go shoot it? 
that's what I would do in that situation. Because, you know, if he's not going to tell you, he's not going to tell you. Yeah. And if you really want to shoot there, I mean, this is a free country, so... But he you didn't know. want to tell me because he using the the premise of being sworn to secrecy, so, so to speak. And what I don't understand is if I had to guess, one of the common responses would be, and I even think he told me this, but like he's like, you know, well, you know, she put a lot of time into researching, you know, this location. And it's almost like by telling me that, like I should go and put the time in too, which, okay, I, I get that, but at the same time, if I know I want to shoot it, I just, I, I'm really kind of torn here because yeah, I, of course I want to research, but if someone's already found it and I know that that's what I want to shoot and we're all friends, is it kind of like, why wouldn't you just, who cares if you researched it? You know, if you're going to give me Cliff's notes version of where it is, is that really a problem? I guess it was for them. I mean, but what do you think? What's the harm in sharing it? Best case scenario, they did this research, they shot this photo, what, they made like $100 selling it as stock or whatever? I mean, like, what's the what's the harm? I don't know. I mean, who knows if they, they I know for a fact that they shared it on their social media network, so they put it out there. Uh, and it's a, oh, it's a stunning photo. But at the same time, even if they did license it, it's it's not, uh, I know for a fact, it's not private land. They weren't trespassing. They did. You don't need permission to get there. You just need to know where it is. So everyone has act, has the right to visit this place. And it's not like I was saying, hey, I want to, I, I would have even agreed to also withhold the metadata on when I share it. But at the same time, if Sharky, you see, let's say I take the photo, you see it and you're like, hey, where was it? Listen, I'll, I'll tell you, like, why wouldn't I? Because I, I know you personally, and I know you would be respectful. At what point do you kind of say, you know what? I'm not responsible for you. You're my friend. If you're going to do something to it, you're going to do something to it. And that's on you. But I'm taking it because I know you, because I it just there's a lot of moving parts here. Like I get what what they're trying to do. But at the same time, I don't necessarily agree with all of it. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I think it's just photographers do this. There's, there's so many just different weird things that we do. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I don't believe that there is a clear right or wrong. I think it is circumstantial and based on different factors, but I do believe that there is a certain amount of, I don't know, it's still amount of kindness and amount of respect that you should be able to show to your fellow photographers. And of course, there is plenty of common sense that you need to have. Like I stand by, if you're a bad person, you're going to do bad things no matter what. I also believe that that is a, a significant minority in the community of photographers. But yeah, so that's, I mean, I think we've, we've beat this one pretty good. Definitely. I think so. So Sharky, you know how we end these shows, right? We, we always, we always end with a simple question. What's, what's on your gear shelf? What is on my gear shelf? Well, in this case, it's in a gear drawer, but it's the lens coat raincoat two standard. It's about $99 or so. And this is an audio show, so you can't see what I actually got in my hands here. But if you're shooting out in the rain, here it is mid-October. And so there's a lot of not just football games going on, but there's soccer. There's, uh, oh gosh, what is there? Like lacrosse, you know, field hockey and all that. And as long as it's not a pouring downpour of a storm, they'll continue. And so even if you have weather sealed gear, it's probably a good idea to try to keep that moisture off of your gear when you can. And so there's a number of solutions out there. Back in the day as a photojournalist, if I didn't have something you know more professional with me, I always had a little pack with me that had garbage bags, rubber bands, etc. So I could fashion something if I needed to. But Lenscoat and other companies as well make these 
protective jackets essentially for your gear that you can, you know, they've got sleeves that you can put your hands in so you can manipulate the controls. And this particular one covers everything from, you know, like a 70 to 200 to eight up to uh, 100 to 400 to a 400, five, six. The really long glass, you're going to need the Raincoat Pro, 20 or $30 more expensive. And it's more material for those longer lenses. The seams are tape sealed. So there's no moisture that, you know, theoretically is going to get through there. So you kind of, it, it's it's something that covers your camera and your lens. And I assume it has, and you said it has the two hand pockets. So so you can reach in does it have for the like a, if the camera's on a tripod i assume it could pass through the bottom yeah so the bottom is open and okay so, so you know because there's no rain coming up from the bottom right hopefully Other, otherwise you're in a crazy storm right there. <laughs> when the rain's coming up from the bottom it's over you're, you probably shouldn't be pressing the shutter but no it, it's open in the bottom and so you have easy access so you could put this on a tripod or you have it on your monopod or whatever and the front of the lens part has like the cord around there and you can cinch it and kind of like clamp it down a little bit so it's hugging the the, uh, the lens hood so hopefully you're using your lens hood to further keep moisture from coming in it's just it's great so this is about 99 dollars. there are cheaper solutions i've got one here also that only brian's gonna be able to see on the video that we when we record i cannot recommend this this is a cheapo version this is like 20 bucks on amazon it's made by altura and inside the plastic is all cloudy and no matter what you do you can't get that off of there and the reason why it has plastic is so you could see your lcd screen sure and that's just pointless i mean unless you have it contacting your lcd screen you're not going to be able to see it very well anyhow so those kind of solutions are just completely pointless. If you want something way more robust and you want to spend more money, Think Tank Photo makes the hydrophobia line of stuff. Yep. Those are incredibly well made. That's what you would look at if you have the big bucks and you're already spending tons of money on gear. That's probably what you want to do. But the lens coat stuff's great too. I mean, this is this is perfectly fine and it's $99. It comes in black, green, navy, those real tree colors, you know, so you can blend in when you're in the forest. Digital camo if you just want to look a little more tactical out in public. I don't know. So it's it's great stuff. I think it's it's definitely useful and you got to protect your gear. I don't care how a lot of people just they have the gear that's weather sealed and they just go, "Okay, well it's weather sealed, so I'm going to go shoot in whatever." That you okay, just don't tempt fate. Just don't do it. So, yeah, I mean, I I was glad you brought up the hydrophobia because it's been kind of like to me the the standard i've always known about the hydrophobia by think tank photo and just looks good and also i know that for example um even peak design has gone into that space with they call it the shell which is kind of a waterproofing it's a form-fitting kind of neoprene looking jacket it's not like what you have where it has it's meant to with your hands to go through it just looks like a cool little thing but all right so this is actually really nice it allows me to segue to what's on my gear shelf very smoothly Again, I was in Grand Teton last week and I did not go with the mobile, you know, iPad only solution. We could talk about that some other time, but, you know, I backed up my photos every day and there's another story there where long story about my SD cards, but, you know, I I was sitting in in our campsite and we had this uh, kind of metal table and it rained a lot. So it was wet everywhere, but I still like to have at least two copies, two backup copies of my photos, one on my computer and then at least on one external hard drive. And so what I have, my pick is by G Technology. It's called the G Drive EV ATC and ATC is all-terrain case. And what it is, is it's kind of like a bomb-proof, waterproof, dust-proof, shock-proof case where you can slide any one of the G Drive EV series drives and they come upwards of, you know, you can get a one terabyte SSD version of it. You slide it in and it becomes essentially like a shield for your drive. It, It is really robust and it comes in two versions there's a thunderbolt 2 version and a usb 3 not usb c but usb 3 version both offer fast you know read write speeds but i love it because i had this sitting on the table 
and it started to uh, rain a little bit. And so I quickly, you know, was able to close my computer and not worry at least of the drives themselves. Uh, I've had I, these things go with me everywhere. If, if I'm traveling on a landscape or, you know, like a remote location shoot, I use these. If I just go visit, for example, my, my parents in New York City, where I don't necessarily need that, I'll take a, my smaller G drive SSDs. But I cannot recommend these enough. They're they're just really hardy. And again, they're expandable. You can take one drive out, put another one in. So we'll link that in the show notes, both your rain protector and my G drive EVATC, nonamephotoshow.com slash episode 009. Something like that. Some, just go to just click the link. It doesn't matter what it says. Right. <laughs> you just get there. Yeah. So did you mention your G Technology Ambassador? I did not. So yeah, uh, I am a, a member of G Technologies Ambassador program called the G Team. And just to put it out there, I joined the program. They, I was invited to the program after being a user of G Technology for a while. I didn't you know, do anything about getting there and all of a sudden became a, a fan I use their products for a long time. I share their products. And so when they asked me to join, it was a very natural thing. And I am more than proud to represent them. And that's how it generally goes, too. I mean, there are some companies that are like, oh, you shoot X brand now. Well, how would you like to shoot Y brand? But usually it's the, the people are using it. And it's like, hey, we love what you're doing. You clearly love the product. Why? It just makes sense. So I just want to put that out there. Make so people, you know, because there's so many cynical people out there. Absolutely. And, and don't get me started on the whole like becoming a, an ambassador when you haven't even used the product, but you but you have name recognition. I'm not mentioning a certain person, I promise. Good. <laughs> you probably go back a few episodes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think it was a fairly good show. Great I, show. I think I was happy with it. If we say so ourselves. And we, and we do. All right. So you want to tell uh, everybody how they can find out more? Yeah. So guys, we are all over uh, social media and our website. So our website, of course, is nonamephotoshow.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook at No Name Photo Show. And uh, we'd love if you, you know, reach out, tell it. We, we get messages after an episode uh, goes live. We will hear from our audience and, and it's just the best. So please interact with us. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts. Are there topics that you're interested in hearing about? Do you think that we're dead wrong about what we said, which probably is always true, but uh, let us know. Sounds great. All right. You want to clap it out? Sure thing. All right. Let's do it. Ready? One, two. That might have been closer. I don't know. Who knows? All right. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs>